So I know last week I told you that this week we would be covering uh, angels, demons, Satan. Well, that's not going to happen. So today we're going to cover angels. There was just too much uh, material, too much information. So next week uh, we will uh, be looking at Satan and the fallen angels, demons. This week, just angels. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for another opportunity uh, to come together, to worship, to learn from your word, uh, to fellowship together, and just pray, Lord, that uh, all of the teaching today and uh, the equipping hours and and the main service, the preaching of your word, pray that all these things would be without error and that you would apply them to our hearts uh, to transform us into Christ-likeness, grow our uh, knowledge of you, of the world that you have created, and uh, our responsibility in that world, our responsibility to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, angels uh, is one of the doctrines or one of the topics in theology where uh, there's, there's so much misinformation. It's been distorted, it's been twisted, or the reality of angels has been completely denied. Uh, certainly, that's the case in the world today. Um, so, I just want to clarify some of those uh, misconceptions that we have about angels first. Uh, first of all, angels are not fat little babies with wings, okay? Kind of angels you see on Hallmark cards. Uh, angels are also not cute little old men who earn their wings by saving people's lives like we see in It's a Wonderful Life. Angels are also not human beings who have died and become angels when they reach heaven. Those, there's no such thing. Okay? And for those of you who weren't here on the first day of class several weeks ago, um, talking about good theology versus bad theology, uh, your children are not angels. And if you remember, I began by contrasting bad theology with good theology. And one of the examples I used was parent-teacher conferences. When a parent tells me that um, they can't believe that their child would break a particular classroom rule because that child is an angel, that's bad theology. And then I remind that parent that Satan was also an angel. That's good theology. So, what are angels? Simple definition of uh, angels uh, from Grudem's systematic theology is this. Angels are created spiritual beings. They have moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. Short definition. And the words in the Old Testament and the New Testament that are translated as angel or that refer to angels have the meaning of, primary meaning of messenger, envoy, or ambassador. And that also refers to their function or their roles in the world. And those those words can also be applied to human beings as well. So not every uh, use of those words in the Old and New Testament refers to angelic beings, those spiritual beings. So, <clears throat> angels have not always existed. They were created. There was a time when they were not. Nehemiah 9.6 states, You are the Lord, 
You alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. And host is a word that refers to angels. The earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Again, referring to angels. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Um, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities refers uh, oftentimes to uh, the angelic realm. Now, all things refers to all things physical and spiritual, whether on heaven or on earth. They were created, and that certainly includes angels. Angels do possess personhood because they have moral judgment. They have a will. They have intelligence. They have emotions. And we know that they have moral judgment and a will because some of them rebelled and sinned against God, falling from their previous positions and suffering God's judgment. 2 Peter 2.4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, they sinned, exercising their judgment and their will, and they've been punished for it, and they will be punished uh, in the final judgment. They also have a high level of intelligence, uh, and this is seen in their communication or their interaction with men and women uh, throughout Scripture. Matthew 28, 5 says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. You also see their intelligence in their worship of God. Hebrews 1, 6 says, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. It takes intelligence to worship. 2 Samuel 14.20 says, they are wise. Uh, 2 Samuel 14.20, the passage actually says, but my Lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel of God to know all things that are on the earth. And although uh, that may be, so the angel of God, that may be a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, which in the Old Testament is often referred to as the angel of the Lord or the angel of God. <clears throat> if you see the angel of the Lord or the angel of God, that is almost certainly a reference to pre-incarnate Christ called a Christophany or Theophany. And uh, if it says an angel of the Lord or an angel of God, that is most likely a reference to uh, other angelic beings. Now, angels also display intelligence and emotion in rejoicing over repentance. Luke 15.10 says, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. They rejoice at um, human repentance. They also have the desire to understand salvation. You see that in 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, and I'll skip the middle part of that passage, those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. <clears throat> okay? So, intelligence. And, again, they are spirit beings. They are not physical Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? <clears throat> now, a few more important facts. Um, angels were created morally 
pure, and those who did not rebel uh, along with Satan remain pure and sinless throughout eternity. That's another point. Angels um, are immortal. They had a beginning, but they will have no end. They will live forever, just as human beings will. Uh, Those angels, which are the majority, those who did not rebel, are referred to as holy angels or elect angels. 1 Timothy 5.21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. And then those angels that joined with Satan are committed to hell and judgment along with unbelievers, human unbelievers. Sorry. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, angels do not have gender or the ability to reproduce, which is implied by there being no marriage between angels as well as the fact that they are spirit beings. They are not physical beings. Matthew 22, 30 says, For In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And even though they have no gender, when they do occasionally appear in Scripture, which is called an angelophany, they appear in the form of men. They never appear in the form of women. Genesis 18.2 Uh, He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And although one of those men was most likely the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, which is said before is a Christophany, um, the others were uh, angels. Mark 16, 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Every, every instance in Scripture where an angel appears in human form, they do appear as a man. Do you have a question? No. Yeah. So I don't really want to get into that today. We can talk about it later. I'll address it if I have time at the end. So the sons of God is one uh, term that is used to refer to angels. Okay, but that particular passage, we'll talk about that later. Okay. <clears throat> um, okay. So uh, another thing about angels, they travel back and forth from heaven to earth, doing God's bidding, uh, usually as messengers, uh, which again would imply that they can only be in one place at one time, and that's consistent with the fact that they are created beings. They don't possess the divine uh, attribute of omnipresence. They can't be in all places at once. Daniel 9, 21 to 23, uh, an example of that. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. And that reference to Gabriel as the man is a reference to how uh, Gabriel appeared. He's actually the angel Gabriel. We'll talk about it in a little bit. <clears throat> um, 
And in John 1, 51, uh, he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. <clears throat> so angels move. They travel from place to place. Their primary residence is heaven in the presence of God. <clears throat> now, how many angels are there? Well, there's no specific number that's given in Scripture, but there are a lot. I mean, a whole lot of angels. In Deuteronomy 33.2, it says that God came from ten thousands of holy ones, and that is a term that refers to angels as well. And that seems to be a reference to the, or it is a reference to the host of heaven or angels. In Psalm 68.17, it says the chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. And those chariots are manned by angels. Daniel has a vision of God's throne room and a massive number of angels. Daniel 7.10 says, A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. A lot of angels. And Jesus makes a reference to a large number of angels that he could call uh, for his defense, if he chose to, in Matthew 26, 53, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And a legion was about 6,000 uh, Roman soldiers, so at least 72,000 angels. And the idea here is that he could call for an overwhelming number um, of angels to overpower the 600 or so uh, soldiers who were in the cohort there. Uh, Luke 2.13 says, a multitude of angels appeared at the birth of Christ. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. In Hebrews 12.22, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And then finally, Revelation 5.11, then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So there are lots and lots of angels. Now, we'll look at some of the various names, uh, titles, and types of angels uh, that Scripture describes and their roles as messengers or servants of God doing whatever he sends them out to do. So first of all, there's only three uh, angels that are referred to with an actual personal name. Those are Michael, Gabriel and Satan, and Satan is the only fallen angel that is referred to by name, uh, but we will get to that next week. So Michael, which means like unto God, <clears throat> I'm sure that's why my parents named me um, what they did, or not, is hoping that I would become like them, so. is referred to as one of the, uh, he's one of the chief princes in Daniel 10, 13, and then in Jude 9, he's referred to as an archangel. Uh, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. And then Christ's return, um, second coming, will also be announced by an archangel, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. <clears throat> Whether that is the archangel Michael or not, we don't know. Um, so the fact that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Michael is referred to as one of the chief princes, and in the New Testament as an archangel, implies that a chief prince and an archangel are synonymous. And that would 
further indicate that, um, that there's more than one archangel. However, no other angel is identified as an archangel, just Michael. And then we have Gabriel. Gabriel uh, means mighty one of God, and it is referred to in Daniel and Luke, Daniel 8, 16, and 9, 21. He comes as a messenger uh, to give Daniel understanding of his visions. Daniel 8, 16, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called um, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And then in Luke, uh, he comes to Zechariah and to Mary to deliver a message from God. Uh, and the angel answered him, answered Zechariah, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And then 26 through 28, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Sathereth, uh, Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. <clears throat> so those are the, those are the two named uh, holy or elect angels. Now, let's look at three types of angels mentioned in Scripture, the cherubim, living creatures, and seraphim. So most uh, theologians understand these as types of angels. Um, Grudem doesn't take a real firm uh, stance on that or a firm position on it, but he does acknowledge the possibility that they are just different types of angels, particularly living creatures. So first of all, uh, cherubim. And those are found in Genesis, Exodus, Ezekiel, Hebrews, and possibly Revelation. And I'll explain that in a minute. Cherubim, so cherub, so I know that's one of those images. If you hear the word cherub or cherubim, you think of those fat little babies with wings. I think they're even identified as cherubs. I'm going to read you a description of what a cherub actually is. Um, you wouldn't want to find this on your Valentine's Day card. So in Genesis, cherubim are tasked with guarding the entrance to Eden and the tree of life after the fall. Uh, Genesis 3.24, he drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And then there's two models of cherubim. Um, they were made uh, for guarding over the mercy seats, symbolizing their guarding of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Exodus 25, uh, 18 through 20 says, And you shall make two cherubim. Of gold, of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. One piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. Cherubim shall spread out their wings above. So they do have wings, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another. And you'll see a description of their faces in a moment. Toward the mercy seat shall the face of the cherubim be. And then in Ezekiel is where we get this detailed description of the living creatures, so the description is of living creatures, but then about 10 chapters later, he, he clarifies that those living creatures are, in fact, cherubim. <clears throat> so, let's see. Yeah. Okay. Ezekiel 1, 4 through 14. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. 
And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. Remember, they are later identified as cherubim. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of the other, while two covered their bodies, had four wings, and each went straight forward wherever the spirit would go. They went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. So that's not exactly the hallmark variety of cherubs. I mean, it's a frightening description. But they do have wings. Yes. Right. I don't know. All I, all I know is what is in Scripture. So it identifies, you know, these different types of angels. I, I don't know why there are different types, but... Right. So I'm saying God makes the angels for different purposes, just like in the rest of creation. You know, He could have made one kind of animal, but he didn't. I mean, he made different animals for different purposes. So within the realm of angels, um, the angelic realm, um, I mean, I would assume or you could uh, guesstimate that the reason for that is because they serve different purposes. Right, some are cherubim, some are seraphim, some, yeah, I mean, at, so one of the things, some theologians, I think I mentioned this earlier, believe that the, you know, some of these different types are just different types of the same type of angel, okay? Different description based on what they do, based on their roles, but all we know for certain is that it describes these different types or classes of angels. And in some cases, it describes what they're doing. In some cases, it doesn't. It gives general descriptions of what angels in general do, but it doesn't always specify. It tells what, and we'll get to the seraphim in a minute here. And uh, in Revelation, describes what the cherubim are doing, the four living creatures are doing, which may or may not be cherubim in Revelation, because the description of cherubim uh, of the living creatures in Revelation is slightly different from this description in Ezekiel. So they may be two different classes of living creatures slash cherubim. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. So, all right. Okay. And like I said, these four living creatures are later identified in Ezekiel 10, 15 as cherubim. Uh, it says, and the cherubim mounted up. These were the living creatures that I saw by the Chabar Canal. And the fact is, uh, Satan was, before the rebellion, before the rebellion, uh, a guardian cherub. He was a cherub, cherubim. Ezekiel 28, 14 says, You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. And if you read the context of that passage, it's clear that it's referring to Satan. So the next type of angel is the seraphim, which means burning ones. And this type of angel is only mentioned in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 through 3 and verse 6. And they are seen um, around God's throne, proclaiming God's holiness. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay, so that's seraphim, and that's the only reference to seraphim in Scripture. Then <clears throat> there are the living creatures in Revelation, which I had a description of living creatures in Ezekiel, uh, and those were identified as cherubim. But in Revelation 4, uh, verses 6 through 8, and uh, chapter 19, verse 4, the description is slightly different. Um, it says, And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And remember the first description in Ezekiel, they all had, they had like a four-sided face, and each one of them had uh, the face of these creatures. Um, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, cherubim and Ezekiel, uh, the four living creatures had four wings and full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never ceased to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, which is what the seraphim were doing in uh, Isaiah. Um, yeah, so here, uh, also the living creatures have six wings, and uh, Ezekiel, they had four. Uh, they're involved in worship, proclaiming God's holiness like the seraphim. And then in Revelation 15, 7, they're also involved in judgment. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. <clears throat> and you see that other angels are also involved as instruments uh, of God's judgment. So because now of the similarities, which I said before, because of the similarities between the cherubim, seraphim, and living creatures, a lot of theologians have said that these three types are just different versions of the same kind of angel. So there may be one angel with slightly different versions, just like every human being is not exactly the same, and God has gifted us and um, created us slightly different from one another. So I don't know. Scripture doesn't explain it any further than that. So you know, it's one of those things we're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to find out. That's a lot of questions that we have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting that. There is a hierarchy. So, or at least a hierarchy that's implied. <clears throat> no, it's okay. Scripture refers to uh, angels with a number of other names and titles. Uh, holy ones 
And I've got, I think I put all those references down. I'm not going to read through any of those just for the sake of time. Uh, they're called the hosts or the host of heaven. Uh, they're referred to as men, um, often when they're delivering messages to uh, human beings. They're called ministering spirits, carrying out God's will. Um, so that passage, Psalm 103, 21, says, Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Uh, also, uh, they serve as ministers um, doing his will as instruments of judgment, which we saw in Revelation. Uh, they serve believers. This is one of their primary functions. They, uh, Hebrews 1.14, and they not all, are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve uh, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's us, believers. Uh, angels are also referred to metaphorically as stars, morning stars in Job, uh, stars of heaven in Revelation, and Satan before the fall was the day star. In Isaiah 14, 12. They're referred to as princes, especially in Daniel. We saw that passage already. And some of those refer to Michael as one of the chief princes. At times, they're called sons of God, <clears throat> which is a reference to God as their creator. Uh, they are heavenly beings. In the Psalms, angels are also called watchers. But you only see that term referring to angels in Daniel. Um, one of those passages says, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, holy one is a reference to angels, came down from heaven. So those many, many uh, terms, many names, uh, titles given to angels throughout Scripture. So we saw that Michael is referred to as a chief prince and archangel, which would indicate that there is... Um, there are ranks, or there is a hierarchy within the host of angels. Scripture uses terms like authorities, dominions, powers, rulers, and thrones to describe those hierarchies. And in some cases, um, those terms refer to fallen or evil angels, the evil angel hierarchy or Satan's hierarchy. Um, and in some cases, they refer to the holy or elect angels. So Romans 8.38, 1 Corinthians 15.24, and Ephesians 2.2, 2, uh, those refer to uh, the evil angels. And then in Ephesians 1.21, Colossians 1.16, 1 Peter 3.22, uh, those refer to the holy angel hierarchy or the elect angel hierarchy. Aside from that, it doesn't go into any more detail. Now, the power of angels. <clears throat> um, power of angels said to be greater than man. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Um, some of the things we see throughout Scripture is they can cause blindness, they can rescue people, they're used to destroy cities. You see that in Genesis 19 um, in regards to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, one angel wipes out 70,000 people in 2 Samuel 24, 15 through 16. It says, So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working um, destruction among the people, It is enough, now stay your hand. So angel doing God's bidding in killing these people and stopped when he was ordered to. Um, Daniel 10, 13, 
20 through 21 and Revelation 7, 1 through 3. Uh, you see four angels exercising power over nature. That's the Revelation passage. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, again, they are doing God's bidding. They're under his control, uh, but powerful. And as mentioned earlier, uh, they're used to execute the seven bold judgments in Revelation. Um, another indication of their power is uh, an angel. One angel, holy angel, will also bind and imprison Satan um, during Christ's millennial kingdom. Revelation 20, 1 through 3, says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. And after that, he'll be released. So... You know, see that wrestling match between this angel and Satan. Um, angels are definitely powerful creatures, more powerful than human beings, at least at this time. And the last things I want to cover regarding angels is their ministry to believers and the church, our relationship with them, or how we should relate to angels. Uh, we've already seen that one of their primary roles um, is to act as God's messengers. They were used to give the law to Moses. Gabriel delivered God's messages to Daniel, Zechariah, Mary, and the Apostle John. One passage that wasn't mentioned before was Revelation 14, 6 through 7. In that passage, an angel will preach the gospel to the world during the tribulation. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So angels are messengers delivering God's message to individuals and to the world. Angels are also constantly in worship before the throne of God. They're used in God's judgment and destruction. They war against Satan and the fallen angels. And they also guard the entrance to the new Jerusalem in the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21.12 had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And those 12 angels that are guarding the gates to the new Jerusalem, most likely cherubim, as cherubim are seen in the Old Testament as guards or guardians. Uh, but again, Scripture doesn't specify in that passage. Now, <clears throat> angels minister to believers, okay? How do they do that? In general, uh, Hebrews 1.14 says, uh, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So it doesn't specify the nature of that ministering, but they do minister to believers. Uh, they do provide protection. <clears throat> Psalm 34.7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. 
Psalm uh, 91, 11 through 12 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then in Matthew 18, 10, says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And that passage, some of these other passages, seem to indicate the possibility of a specific um, angel assigned to angel or assigned to individuals, so like a specific guardian angel. But the text um, really doesn't say that. Okay, the grammar more likely is referring to a number of angels, and based on previous texts, uh, seeing how God sends out angels, um, they are assigned as needed. It's not like we have one angel walking around with us all the time. Okay, there's nothing in any of those texts that would indicate that. And then um, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, if we take that story literally, whether or not it's a proverb, um, not all agree on that. But if we take it literally, uh, that would mean that believers at the point of death are transported to heaven or to paradise by angels. Luke 16.22 says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, which is a reference to paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. Okay? So then in relation to the church, there are seven angels that are assigned to the seven churches in Revelation, but that may not be referring to angelic beings. It could actually, the words there could be applied to humans, like bishops or ministers, not certain about that, but it could be uh, angelic beings. So does that mean that all churches have angels assigned to them? Well, it doesn't say. More likely, um, there are a number of angels watching over churches just as they watch over uh, individual believers, <clears throat> and that seems to be indicated in 1 Timothy 5.21, where it says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Okay, and that charge given to Timothy by Paul. So that's a fairly comprehensive summary of the things that we see in Scripture regarding angels. So now the question is, how should we relate to angels? Or should we relate to angels? And I think the main thing to be aware of is the fact that they do exist. Okay, and they are engaged in activity on uh, God's part and at his bidding. We should also be aware of the fact that when we worship God, we are joining with a multitude of angels who are constantly worshiping, worshiping before the throne of God. When we worship God, we worship alongside the angels. We should also be aware of the fact that angels observe our conduct as believers. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So they might be checking up on you. However, um, while that may be uh, something to be aware of, our greatest concern should be the reality of God's omniscience, which extends not just to our conduct, but he knows our thoughts. So angels may observe us, but God knows everything about us. Um, and then if God should send an angel for our protection, as he did with Daniel in the lion's den, 
uh, freeing the apostles uh, from prison in Acts, or um, when we're spared from death as we're thrown to the windshield of a car at 50 miles an hour after slamming in the rear of a stalled bus and barely escaped being crushed to death and then beaten to death, which is my testimony. When those things happen, whether an angel was involved or not, our thanks doesn't go to angels or the angelic realm. Our thanks is to God because he has determined what will be using uh, angels as his ministering spirits. Um, finally, we should never seek contact with angels. Angels are sent to do God's bidding. Uh, they are not here to do our bidding, and there's no warrant in Scripture uh, for seeking out uh, contact with angels. Uh, there is, oh, we should never pray to angels because there's one mediator between God and man, that's Jesus, and never worship angels. Angel worship was one of the false doctrines taught in Colossae. Colossians 2.18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. So disqualified as a result of that worship. <clears throat> we are to pray to and worship God alone. And when John was about to worship the angel in Revelation 19.10, the angel forbid it. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So we worship God alone. Angels are created spirit beings. They are fellow servants. They are messengers of God. They are ministering spirits. For now, they're more powerful than men. But ultimately, we will judge angels. 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? And that's it. Questions? They do take human form. When... when no, but they appear as human beings. In, in the cases where you see, where you see the angels um, making contact with uh, Abraham and others in the Old Testament, they were in human form. When the women came to the tomb, they saw a man, okay? But it was an angel, okay, in human form. So they appear in human form. They are not physical. So aside from that, it does not give detail. Well, I mean, if, if, so when those angels uh, came to Abraham, you know, he went and they prepared a meal and everything for them. So, I mean, the same thing could happen. Aside from that text, it does not give any detail. Just says that we could be entertaining angels with strangers. We don't know. Could appear to be human, could conduct themselves like a human, when in fact they're an angelic being. Just what you see in the text. Just a description of their appearance. Ricky, so that passage you're referring to, there is a, uh, there is a split amongst theologians as to what 
that is referring to. <clears throat> some say that, uh, some believe that that is a reference to angels. Most believe that it is a reference to powerful men, princes, and rulers, okay? So that same term is used to refer to angels, also referred to refer to, to men, sons of God. And the idea that the idea that an angel can reprodu reproduce is problematic because because they are spirit beings, okay. And no indication in Scripture that they're capable of that. And in fact, that passage it talks about the fact that we'll be like angels. There'll be no marriage, no giving in marriage. And it seems to indicate or imply that there's no no gender, no procreation. Yes. Well, in the sense that God has predestined or ordained everything that will be, uh, I would say yes. Those, you know, the majority of angels were chosen not to fall away when he allowed the others to do so. So, yeah, just as believers are referred to as elect. So there's a couple of uh, different um, explanations of that. The, I think the best one is that because we are in Christ, we participate in, in all that Christ does, and Christ is the judge. And at the same time, he can delegate that authority to, to whoever. Okay? So one says, well, we're judging angels because we're in Christ. Christ will judge all things in the end. In the final judgment, the other, uh, the other option is that Christ delegates to us the judging of angels and we're in him spiritually and capable of carrying out his judgments, just as he delegates, you know, to others, delegates to ministers in the church to represent him in the church. Huh? Well, I'm assuming he's referring to the fallen angels. Since the elect or holy angels do not sin. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't say. It, it, so are they, is it set? I would say yes. Okay, there's, there's a multitude of angels, but a creation, he said it's finished. Okay, and angels don't procreate. There's nothing in Scripture that would indicate that, so they don't continue to multiply like human beings. Yes. There's nothing in Scripture that that would indicate that. All we have is are the few texts that actually refer to to angels specifically to these uh, three types of angels potentially three types of angels and beyond those descriptions there's there's nothing else so uh, one point that i didn't make is that angels created beings they were created sometime between the first and last day of creation okay doesn't say when that took place <coughs> um and then fell in rebellion 
some but sometime between you know the sixth day of creation and chapter three in Genesis. Do you have another question? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, don't, yeah, don't get your theology from that movie. Yeah, it just, it doesn't say. All we know is what's been revealed. And beyond that, and we can make some assumptions, and uh, certain things are implied based on descriptions and based on all the texts in Scripture, but you can't go too far in that just because then you get into... You know, speculation that really has no foundation in Scripture. The best thing to do is say, well, this is what we know. You know, We know that this is what the four living creatures look like in Ezekiel, and those are cherubim. And we know that these are what the four living creatures look like in Revelation. Well, they're slightly different. So it is, a, is that a variety of cherubim? Well, it doesn't say. It just says this is what they look like in Ezekiel, this is what they look like in, in Revelation. <clears throat> and then, you know, are there other classes of angels? Don't know. We do know, based on their descriptions and the titles, certainly we have a, a fairly good idea of what they do. They're involved as messengers. They're involved in, in carrying out judgment. They're involved in protection. Um, a passage I didn't share, they're involved in strengthening people. They strengthen Jesus in uh, the wilderness. Um, all of these things are part of what they do. But beyond that, we don't know. And as far as this idea of a guardian angel, God uses angels to protect his people, but nowhere does it say that we have a specific angel. This guy is my angel. Like, what was the angel's name in It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like that in Scripture. So, Yeah. Uh, I think it's in Isaiah. I'm not sure, but I think it's in Isaiah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. That's post-angelic rebellion. So. Had what? Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he was called the day star. So we'll get into all that next week. We'll get into Satan and fallen angels. Okay? All right. You're dismissed.